Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. One of these days, Lord willing, I'm going to build us a new pulpit. It's going to be this wide on this side and this wide on that. Now the reason is, I'm not going to get that fat, I hope. The reason is, I need places to put all my paperwork as I go through it. I, I come with lots of notes always, and uh, I have to have a place to put them, and it, it looks messy when I'm doing it, but... Uh, Anyhow, I appreciate the privilege to be able to share the word with you today, and I'm so glad that you're here. Isn't it a wonderful thing having a church family? I don't think we realize so often what a blessing it is to have a group of people. If you're in trouble, you can call on them, no question about it. I mean, they're going to be there. They're going to love you and encourage you, and we just we have such a tie together that, that we don't think about mentally, but it's there, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, I'm filling in for John today, trying to help him out, and I want to share just a word of testimony with you today that is important, I think. Never take for granted what your pastor does during the week. I'm going to tell you what, I have studied myself to death for this message. Uh, and I remember all the years full-time of hour after hour. You, I, I think... Folks think you go to college and you come out and you're just full of these sermons and you're waiting to spit them out. I went to college to learn how to study the Bible. And that's what most guys I know will tell you. That's the greatest thing they learn is how to study the Scriptures. Uh, I can guarantee you I've spent over 30 hours this week just going through this stuff and looking at it and checking the Scriptures and trying to understand totally and how the best way to present them and ask God to help me to be able to do that. Please don't take for granted our good brother who does this weekly, week after week. He wakes up in the morning, it's on his mind. He goes to bed with it on his mind. It's a job you can never get away from. I have laid brick. I have laid block. I have dug ditches. I have nailed shingles on a 1010 roof. But I'm going to tell you something. I have never, ever, ever done a job as hard as pastoring full time. It is a challenge. It's a joy. It is a great joy. There's a great blessing in it, and especially being able and having the privilege to study the Word that way. But please never take for granted our brother who labors, and I want to tell you, uh, to teach as well as he teaches, it takes a lot of study and prayer. And, and, and I know you appreciate that like I do. I, I've started two churches. I've never been in a church as good as this one. I, I'm serious about that. As consistent of Bible teaching, and, and challenge to God's people, and I want you to know and appreciate it. Now, we guys help John, but not in that way. Um, we, we are busy in so many other ways, the other three of us, and, and please, please understand the, the responsibility that he has week after week after week. And, uh, and by the way, he pastors at home too. Uh, has to keep his family straight and all that. No, I'm kidding about that. But anyhow, I hope that you do appreciate that as I do. Let's look at this passage again, and we want to read the whole chapter this time and look at it and try to understand it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, 
And we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You today and we ask You to help us as we read such a a heavy truth today. Uh, We pray that you will help us to understand this passage. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to continue in our hearts as we go out through the day to worship as we have in song today and to praise you for your greatness, for, Lord, you are worthy. And, Lord, I pray that you will help me as I have studied this week, as we have prayed, that, Lord, your name be glorified today as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we look at this great truth. As believers, we are greatly interested in the truths that John shares here in this passage with us. And I pray you will open my heart as I continue to look and to share from my heart, Lord, the truths that I believe you have taught me and helped me with today. And I pray, Lord, you'll open the heart of everyone here today. If there's any unsaved, Lord, I pray that you will help them see their only hope is Jesus Christ. Gospel cannot be clearer than in verse 1 through 4. I pray, Lord, that you will help uh, all of us together in our walk, that we might seek that closeness and sweet fellowship that is so clearly laid out in this passage and how to have it as a believer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to spend just a few minutes in introduction. I started this about, I don't know, a few months ago, and I'm trying to help John as he needs to take a rest. And um, uh, the last time when I preached, I started this chapter then, and, and uh, it's, it's been a great study. I love the book of 1 John. I think I told you that. It's been a great book to me. John the Apostle, again, brother of James, wrote five of the New Testament books, and they're great books. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. It's an amazing thing to me, especially in the three of those books that are major books, how wonderful they are and how they affect our lives. Uh, he was the apostle that was considered the closest to Jesus, the apostle that Jesus loves. I don't know that everyone's in agreement, but if you look at the family structures here, it seems that they were probably first cousins. They had known one another before, and before the beginning of the ministry of Christ. And so there certainly was a closeness there of the three, the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John. It seems that he certainly was. If you remember at the Lord's Supper, 
when Jesus said one would deny him. They were all concerned. Isn't it amazing? We look at that picture and we see Judas holding that bag. And we go, oh yeah, that was him. He looks terrible. They didn't know. Not a one of them knew. They began to become concerned. Is it I? And one of them motioned to John, asking who it is. There was that closeness. We see that over and over. The rest of the disciples were dispersed, if you will, at the cross. John stayed. Uh, there was that closeness and that love, no question about it. He saw so much. He's the only apostle living at the time that this letter, and I think all of his letters were written from 85 to probably in the early 90s, maybe 95, some believe up to 94. Uh, all of his letters were written during that time. He is the last guy, and he's the guy certainly uh, that many sought to be around, to hear from, and to know him, to get to know Jesus in some way even better, if you will, uh, during that time. John was likely the overseer of the churches of Asia Minor. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3 are those seven churches that were in Asia Minor. He probably spent his time there and overlooked those, according to history it tells us that, and probably worked mainly from the church in Ephesus. And remember, the, the, the book of Revelation was written though from the Isle of Patmos, where he was sent off uh, for a period of time. Now the purpose of this writing we saw the last time is as we look in this passage of Scripture, notice fullness of joy. In chapter 1, verse 4, he tells us that, and we are writing these things so our joy may be complete. And he's going to be talking about that at the end of this passage uh, in chapter 1 and continuing to deal with that. Chapter 2, righteous living. John said, I wrote these things that you sin not. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then in chapter 5, that verse, many of us remember, there he says, I've written these things that you may know you have eternal life. That's a wonderful truth. It is so good to be able to grow and come to know the Lord in such a way that the Spirit of God agrees and shares with you and helps you to see that he has done this great work in your heart. I'll tell you, that is so wonderful. And I hope that you understand and sense that today in your heart. There are problems at these churches. This letter is going to be a circular letter that he writes. It's going to go probably to Ephesus to start with, and there they're going to make a copy of it, and they're going to send it on to the next church and to the next church, and there are several letters in the New Testament that were that way, that were very intentionally that way. All of them, eventually, that happened, no doubt. But the problem was false teachers, as it usually is. This is not a new thing. When Paul was writing at Colossae, they had that problem. There in chapter 2, he warns them about the mysticism. These people who have this superior knowledge to the rest in the body of Christ. Oh, listen, he warns them so clearly, and here in this passage, it, it happens. I'm going to today read to you from a fellow that can explain Gnosticism better than I can. Uh, his name is David Allen. I've been using his book and studies. John led me to it, and it's a good book, great book. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis which means knowledge. It was a combination of pagan mysticism and Greek philosophy, predicated on two primary principles. First, Gnosticism taught that the way of salvation was through uh, superior knowledge granted to the initiated. By the way, 
If anyone ever comes to you and says, you don't have all you need in the scriptures, I've got something else for them, you tell them to take it on their way. You don't need it. And that was true in that day. But listen, in, in 1 John chapter 4, these words, there are many spirits that have entered into the world that do not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And there are other doctrinal truths that will come out that people will try to teach you. He said, but you need to try the spirits to see whether they be a God. And we have the complete revelation of God. The Bible is complete. It is sufficient for everything that we have and we need in our life. And I'm here to tell you, if someone starts teaching you something that is not in the Scripture, you can totally disregard it. I don't care how spiritual they sound or act. And we need to be careful. I was working in a house this week, and two ladies knocked the front door. And the homeowner was not there, but I felt compelled to go to the door. I didn't get a chance to witness to them. They got away pretty quickly. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of folks peddling stuff, and they sound so sincere they will talk about the scriptures. They will quote out of the Bible. But I'm here to tell you, they don't believe the scriptures. Be careful. So this was part of that type of group here. And here there were some problems. First, Gnosticism taught that the way of salvation was through superior knowledge. Gnostics considered all matter to be evil, but the spirit was good. Therefore, Gnostics taught that your physical body is evil, but your soul is good. Some of the false teachers John is combating in this letter had begun to infiltrate the church with uh, incipient forms of Gnosticism and teaching. The first error was a practical error of teaching Christians the wrong way uh, to live. Christians went to one of two extremes. The first one was asceticism. If you don't know what asceticism is, it was told, I don't know if it's true, that the bed of nails was made up and created by uh, uh, an ascetic. Uh, they had the idea of torturing the body. And again, as we look at that and think about that, um, they believed that if you tortured your body, that it would possibly set your spirit free. And I'm here to tell you, there's no truth in that. Secondly, was licentiousness. Because they believed the body was evil, they did not think that it mattered to God or anyone what you did in your body. It's just your spirit. Now, that's a great folly. The great folly is Jesus said in the book of John, uh, Matthew chapter 12, very clearly, listen, sin don't come from the body. It comes from the heart of man. They had it backwards. And certainly, as we think about this, we see the problems that come with Gnosticism. Uh, no rules. No commandments. Don't worry about them. You don't have to. The spirit is good. It's just that your body, it is wicked. Also, Gnosticism led to a great doctrinal error. And that error was that they did not believe that Jesus had a physical body like you and I do. They believed it appeared to be. Docetism was what that was called, that it was an appearance of a body, but it wasn't. Some of them even taught that if you had been walking beside Jesus in the desert in that time, he wouldn't have had any footprints because he didn't have a real body. Such foolishness. As we see here, as we look at this and think about it. But here's the real problem with that. The real problem is if Jesus did not have a body, then there is no incarnation of Jesus Christ. And that is so clear in the scriptures as John sets out to do in the very first uh, four verses. He destroys that view, I mean, clearly. But secondly, if Jesus did not have a body, there is no atonement for our sins. 
Read Romans chapter 5 and listen, we went through that. And it is so clear, the second Adam came in a body like Adam, except it was sinless, and he did all that Adam failed in, and then he took our sins upon him. So it's vitally important that we understand that Jesus Christ had a body. And we will rehearse again for just a moment some of the things the apostle did. In verses 1 through 4, he says, listen. And by the way, he keeps saying we. He's talking about him and the other 11 apostles. He says, we heard him. We were with him for three years. And we heard him as he gave the Sermon on the Mount. We were there. We heard him on the Sea of Galilee when we were caught in the storm and he was laid in the bow of the boat and asleep and we thought we were perishing. Fishermen were scared to death in the storm. They had been in this all their life off and on. And they woke him and he stood up and he spoke and they heard him say, Peace be still. And the waters calmed and the winds calmed. And here in this passage is John uh, deals with this. The very first thing he does is he turns right to the Lord himself and he points out that this cannot be true. We saw him. We saw this man day after day. We were with him when he was hungry there at the well in John chapter 4 and he sent the disciples to get food because he was hungry. He had the same needs that you and I have and he says, we want you to know that. We saw him. We touched him. Listen, we had our hands upon him. We handled him not only before his death and resurrection. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he came in with us while we were eating. He asked for the fish. He wanted to eat. He wanted us to see that it was him indeed, and he still had that body. So here in this passage, the very first four verses, John annihilates this false teaching, the basis of it to start with. What a wonderful thing as we look at this and see this so clearly in this passage of Scripture. He says, we testify, proclaim to you that life eternal by which we can have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to tell you, this thing of fellowship is a big deal. It is not just talking about like that food fellowship we had a couple weeks ago. Now, that was good. There's nothing wrong with that. I think I enjoy doing always have enjoyed doing that in churches and gathering and meeting and I love to eat and talk to folks, and all those things are good, but it's talking about a partnership. There is something that you and I have as believers that the world does not have. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and so do you. I am led to think centrally about the same things that are right and things that are wrong. I have the desire, hopefully, that you have to know Jesus Christ better and to increase this fellowship that I have with him in knowing him better. And here he speaks of this fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's what it's all about. Has anyone ever asked you, how's your walk with the Lord? What do you think they're talking about? That's exactly what they're talking about. You know, in the garden before sin, Adam and Eve walked with the Lord. He came down in the cool of the day and there he, he, he in a, Christophany or a theophany, Jesus walked with Adam and Eve, and they talked. Can you imagine what they talked about? You know, some of those animals, Adam says, what's that all about? You know, uh, that's a weird-looking animal. Have you ever seen a sloth, how slow they are? I've mentioned this before. I'm hung up on I'm going to see one. I'm going to get to hold one one of these days. I'm here to tell you it amazes me as I see some of the animals and the creatures in the world, and I just wonder what they talked about and the things that they did and the fellowship they had, and what a wonderful thing that must have been. And by the way, at the end of all this, when it is over, when Jesus comes and we have new bodies, we are going to be with him again. Now, there are going to be hopefully millions of us, but I'm here to tell you, 
we have all eternity to get a one-on-one opportunity to walk with him. I'm going to ask him about that theory of Einstein. You know, the guy with the blown-out silver hair. Uh, relativity. Now, I probably not. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ knows all, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. We're not going to stop learning when we leave here. We're just beginning to learn. When we know him and get to know him and his powers and all that he has done and all that he is and understand this love that he has shown us, it's going to be a great and a wonderful thing. Now, in verses 1 through 4, he basically is sharing the gospel right off the bat. Did you know the way to answer most problems you have with people and sin and whatever it is is simply the gospel? I know sometimes we go all around backwards and try everything we can to enter and try to deal with the problem. The problem is usually in a person's mind is remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ and understanding what God has done for you. And it will never change. In the book of Galatians, um, I just want to read you these verses. I think they're, they're great. Paul writes to the church of Galatia, and they have gotten false teaching also. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but that there are some who would trouble you uh, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, or gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, And we have said before, so now say I again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you've received, let him be accursed. We need to hang on to that and remember that. I love Brother Ray. I don't like his hugging. He hugs me too much. But anyhow, he's a good brother. He's, he's a little different. That, okay, that's good. She likes and That's a good thing. But let me tell you something. I, preach about, I think about Ray, and I, I've mentioned this to people before. We get in a meeting behind doors back there trying to deal with problems. Sometimes we get all the way around the problem, don't know how to deal with it. And I like what Ray asks. He's done it two or three times, and I appreciate it. It's helped me. It's helped me to stop thinking of my life. Where's the gospel in this? That is the answer. Oftentimes in our problems, we need to understand and keep in mind the gospel of Jesus Christ and in all the work of the church and the work of our family, we need to keep that in mind as we deal with one another and love one another. And I tell you, that's a great truth for us. The gospel will never change. It never will change. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever. Oh, I love the book of James. James chapter 1 and verse 17 there The Father, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights within whom there is no variableness and not a shadow of changing. He's the God of all light. He has settled all that is for eternity. There is no question about the Word of God. It is not going to change. I can tell you that. You may get a better translation that will help you understand original language, but we have the Word of God, and certainly we need to hang on to the gospel, and there is not a different gospel. He is a God of light. Look with me in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Now here in this passage of Scripture, I absolutely love to look at it in light of the book of of John here in this passage. There are two of the great attributes of God that are dealt with very strongly in this letter. The first one is God's holiness. God is light. In the book, in the beginning, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And there, there was darkness upon the deep and all that. And there, the Bible says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
He is light. By the way, the sun was not created for three more days. Have you ever noticed that in the passage and got crossed up and thinking, wait, I thought the sun was already there? No, it's the Lord in His presence there. He uh, gives off that light, if you will. And so as we think about this and understand this, we see this very carefully here in this passage of Scripture. But he deals with a second attribute of God, and it is love. Now I want to tell you, it, there is nothing in this world that the world is more mixed up about than that word, love. People look at their gun. Say, man, I love that gun. Or that address, or car, or something like that. We've used the word so wildly, and there are different, different degrees in using that word, and I understand that's all right. But I want to tell you something. The church is having a problem with this word. There is no way. Now, we're going to deal with it starting in chapter 2 and chapter 4. He's going to deal with this very thoroughly about Christians loving one another and the love that we ought to have. But I want to tell you something. You will never understand the love of God until you first understand the holiness of God. It's just a fact. You cannot understand it listening to the world, looking at the world, and the way we deal with things. God's love is a real love and is for the good of those that he loves. And that is what basically tells us about love. 1 Corinthians thirteen six. we think of the love chapter. Speaking of love, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. That's the first thing. God's love is grounded in absolute truth and holiness and righteousness. And when we lose sight of that, we get in trouble and we begin to even defend things that we should not sometimes. Most think of God being like Mr. Rogers. I'm fine with you just the way you are, as he spoke to those little kids. Let me tell you something. God's not fine with the way we are. He sent his son to Calvary to pay an enormous price so he could transform our lives and make us like his son. Don't ever get this idea that God is some grandpa sitting up in heaven. He wakes up once in a while and he looks at those kids again. He says, oh, they're just kids. You know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And all those things that sometimes are said, God is concerned about righteousness. And here in this passage, as John begins to defend this and to teach them the error of their way in this very subject matter, he starts off with this attribute of God that God is holy, he is righteous, he's a God of light as we have here in this passage. I'm amazed in studying the works of John. This time I've discovered something that has just amazed me. You know, all God's, all of John's major passages, he starts off with God. He doesn't start off anywhere else. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Same subject matters he deals with here in this passage of Scripture. It's an important thing. By the way, anyone you disagree with uh, about spirituality and truth, if you can't agree on Jesus, you're not going to, nothing else matters. It just doesn't. You go to the book of Revelation, and there in that chapter, he comes in the very first chapter, and he says he hears a voice giving him, he sees a sight, and it's indescribable in that passage of Scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he falls down before him as dead because his appearance is like the sun shines in its strength. I'll tell you something. Sun's got dark spots. God don't. There are none at all. Listen, he is holy and he is pure in every way that you can think of. And as we approach this subject matter in trying to deal with sin and deal with righteousness, we need to understand that. And here we see that he's absolutely sinless. If we continue to walk in darkness, we do not have fellowship with God. Now listen as he goes through this passage. I want to read the three or four verses again to us. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. 
that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his words not in us. Here in these passages of scripture, as John continues on, he kind of is in your face. The Apostle Paul says some very strong things in his writings, but I want to tell you something. Here in this passage of Scripture concerning the holiness of God, John does not mince words. He's very clear. Listen, God is light. When you get saved, here's what happened. That great passage in 1 Peter, there he says, you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a transformation. It's a change of life. It's not just, I prayed a prayer and I said this prayer and I've got God under contract and He's got to take me to heaven. I'm here to tell you that that's blasphemy. That is wrong. Friend, when a person is saved, they are born again and they're changed from the inside out. It takes a whole lot of time to work on some of the outside and the inside. But I'm here to tell you, it begins a process. You know, I, I sometimes look at this and I just get so overjoyed thinking what God has done in my life. I try not to talk much about my past because I did not live a good past before I was saved. But I'm here to tell you when I got saved. Listen, the first two weeks, and I've told people this is partly because of lack of assurance and from where I had come from, I had such a hard time believing it. I lost 10 pounds. My mother got worried about me. She saw me from one week to the next. She said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. And I was going through this, but I'm here to tell you when it becomes so clear to me that Jesus Christ had taken all my sins and they were under his blood and could never be seen again. I'm going to tell you that was a wonderful day in my life. And the, the thing that happened to me, and I hope it's happened with you in your life, I know sometimes for folks that are raised in a Christian home, this is a little harder to detect, and I, I, I'm a little fearful sometimes sharing this, but I'll tell you, when I got saved, it wasn't a matter. You got to go to church. Man, I wanted to be there so bad. Man, those people were thinking like I was. By the way, a lot of folks I've been hanging out with didn't think like I did. Man, things had changed. From the inside out, I changed so drastically. I wanted to do right. I wanted to know what the scripture says. I want you to show me in the scripture what I should be doing as a Christian and how I ought to be living to glorify the one who died for me. Oh, here in this passage, John's very clear. Listen. You say that you walk in darkness, but you have fellowship with God. He said, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. Don't fool yourself. Oh, listen, there's not a person in this room that saved don't have problems in. I'm number one. I can tell you right now, I know what goes on in my heart and mind, and it's a battle. But I'm walking in light, and here's what's happening. As I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God in my heart, and I come and I hear the Word of God and I study at home and I see the Word of God and listen, as I go through, God is dealing with me about my sins and I want to tell you on a daily basis I'm having to do this thing. Lord, please forgive me and help me with this thing. Remember, I've talked to you several times lately, Lord, I'm trying to battle with this thing. Please give me victory. That's walking in the light. That is the way of a Christian. Listen, there's no such thing as sinless perfection. Here in this passage, uh, there are those 
of the false teachers that believed they had never sinned, or excuse me, had no sin because of the difference between the spirit and the body being flesh or being matter and being evil. I want to tell you something. Every Christian struggles with sin, but they struggle with it. Here's the problem. If you can live that way and it not bother you and not eat at you, I want to tell you something. You've got a problem. If you are saved, God loves you and he cares about what happens to you. He cares about sin in your life. And I'm here to tell you he's going to deal with you through his spirit. It is an amazing thing what the Lord can do through his spirit. I remember one time I, I was making a move that I wasn't sure about and I was having struggles by it with and I had to go meet some folks up in an upper state and I rode by and I saw a sign that said, James, run. And I got to thinking, I was trying to get away from something that I didn't need to be getting away from. God had led me there. It's amazing some of the little things that God has just used to remind me of what he is doing in my life. And friend, listen, he is able to do that. Those who claim to be sinless... Uh, I've I've met a couple people. I met a lady one time. Her father was a member of my church. And he warned me, he said, when you meet her, she's going to want to tell you she hadn't sinned in ever so, so long. And uh, she didn't do it, thankfully, because I really didn't want to get in that discussion because it is not a pretty thing. I want to tell you, it don't take but a few minutes to break that. Tell them first you don't believe it. That'll get them riled up usually. How in the world can you say that? Nobody else can say it. How can you say that? And the Apostle Paul wrote what he wrote in Romans chapter 7 saying that which I want to do, I find myself not doing. And those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who is going to save me from this sinful case? I thank my God, Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, there's no way a Christian's going to be honest and say that. These people claim their sins were not relevant simply because of what they had believed. And here he says in this passage of Scripture to them, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. And it's important that we be honest about it and deal with it. By the way, you know what the word confession simply means? Just to agree. Agree with God. When you've sinned and God's shown you through the scriptures that it's wrong, it is sin and agree with God. By the way, I did something that helped me on understanding this. What else does God say about sin? It's worthy of eternal damnation. But God has forgiven me. And all oh, that makes me want to run to the cross and say, Lord, thank you, thank you, and forgive me. I confess this sin. I don't want to live like this. See, that's the life of a Christian. That's the life of a normal Christian. We walk in the light. If we say that we have not sinned, not only do we deceive ourselves, but we're calling God a liar. What he says in the passage. Again, he doesn't mince words about it. You're saying God's wrong. Listen, God's right and everybody else is wrong. Romans chapter 1, Paul makes that clear before he starts that letter in that passage. Let God be true and every man a liar. And it is a fact. It is clearly true. We need to be honest with ourselves. Let me make some closing applications. And, um, and I hope they will be a help to you. I hope you love the fellowship you have with God. And you know what I'm talking about. When you, when you feel right with the Lord, you're dealing with your sin and you're trying to walk to honor Him and do the things that you know He wants you to do. Or there's not some sin hanging there that nobody knows but Him. You know, sometimes people get the idea, well, God's a lot better about my sin than people are, so I'll just keep that between me and the Lord. Listen, that's, that's marring your fellowship. It's going to mar your fellowship with God. 
You're not going to have the joy, the full joy that John talks about in this passage of the Christian life. And I'm not going to have that until I deal with this sin in my heart and ask God to forgive me and help me to overcome it. Oh, God loves me. Listen, I know He loves me. He sent His Son to die for me. And He wants the best for me. He wants absolute righteousness in my walk. Now, that's the only thing He can want. I know. Has it ever bothered you? I think it's in the book of Luke, where the woman that was taken in sin, it may be in the book of John. And Jesus forgives her there. The others left because he dealt with them, convicted them so bad they had to walk off. Has it ever bothered you when Jesus told her he forgave her? And then he said to her, go and sin no more. How in the world can you do that? I, I, first time I learned, I said, well, and it dawned on me, and it came, became clear in Scripture, no, you can't. But your sins are paid for. And I can give you grace, family grace, to get this right and keep you on the right track. By the way, did you know God can't give you any other admonition about your sin? He's holy. How can He say, just cut it back 10%. Don't sin so much. He can't do that. How could God, the holy God without any spot, how could He ever, ever, Tell you to do that. No, his challenge is to go and sin no more. And I'll listen. My standing before God is perfect because of Jesus Christ. But on a daily basis. Remember when Jesus, in John chapter 13, was dealing with the disciples. He was getting them ready for the cross. And there they had to suffer. And when he got done, Jesus rose from the table. And he got this long towel and wrapped it all the way around him. And he took a pan of water and he went to his disciples. He began to wash their feet and come to Peter. I love Peter. Nobody could stick their foot in their mouth no bigger than he, and I've done it too, but I'll tell you what, he was big. No, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. You don't have any part with me. And he said, listen, not my feet only, but my head and my hands, All, please wash me all over. He said, you don't need that, only your feet. What was he saying? You're clean. But listen, as you walk in this earth, you're going to pick up sin. And time to time, you're going to need to deal with this sin on a regular basis and clean up. And that's what I think Jesus was saying to these disciples. And that is the life that we ought to be seeking. That fellowship, that sweet fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. I don't want to park on this at all. Church discipline's hard, but it's important. It is so desperately important. And listen, if I get out of line, please help me. Don't say that's just too tough. Please help me. Please come to me and help me to get back on track. I want to be back in fellowship with God and with you like all do. Sin mars that fellowship. Now, I don't think anybody in this room today has probably ever believed Gnosticism. I doubt it. Okay. By the way, if you'll look at the cults closely, a lot of them, that's what they edge on to start with. Um, I don't think anybody would say, I've never seen. But I'll tell you something the church is struggling with today. And it kills me. It breaks my heart. Brother Ray sent us a pamphlet to the elders here a while back on what people really believed in a survey we took. And I'm going to tell you what, that troubled me so bad. I, I knew it. I knew it already. 
But it troubled me so bad that people who sit in good churches where the Word's taught many times and do not believe the Word of God. We're living in a day where people can move in together, forget marriage, and still be members of Baptist churches. And they don't care enough for them to help them. And they say it's all right. I, I dealt with a fellow in Tennessee one time years ago who was caught up in homosexuality. And he had gotten into a conference with another pastor in Nashville and come back. And I got the letter, got to read it. He said, listen, the Apostle Paul, he was a chauvinist. He didn't understand what life was really like in marriage. And says he sure didn't understand homosexuality. People were born in homosexuality. By the way, I agree with that. I don't have a bit of problem with that. I was born a liar, a cheater. If you want to name it, I can give you a list of things. I don't like to discuss them, but I'm telling you, I was. Until I got saved, I just did whatever as long as I could do it in society and went, just went that round. I was born that way. Everybody's born that way. Being born that way don't give you a right to continue in it or somehow God's going to look over it all of a sudden. There are many people in churches talking that today. Hey, listen, people were born that way. People in the cross gender, listen, don't bother them. They can be just as right with God living that way and not being concerned about it, I'm here to tell you, God has not changed His mind one bit. One more verse of Scripture I do want to read you. It's Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Let me tell you something. Now you might fool the masses today with those kinds of things and those kinds of teaching. But I'm here to tell you, you won't fool God. Can a homosexual be saved? Absolutely so. I know. I know some. I've, I've led one to Christ and, and was able to help him for a period of time before he died. I have I have counseled with them. There are many of those people in those kinds of sins we're talking about that, listen, want to be delivered from that. But what if they can't get rid of their temptations? I had not got rid of mine. God still holds me responsible. God's grace is enough to cover those things and give us what we need. I'm here to tell you, God's Word is not going to change. Well, he says in this passage, and not only was true 2,000 years ago, I'm here to tell you, it's true today. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. He loves sinners. He will save sinners that come in repentance, admitting their sin is wrong, and asking for grace. He will give it to them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word. God, I pray that today... No one thinks in any way as I have spoken any of these final things that it's in harshness, it's not meant that way, but in love. Help us, Lord, as the people of God, that we will be a light to those in darkness. Help us, Lord, in these areas where there is so much um, confusion. May we be clear with the Scriptures. Help us, Lord, to stand where we ought to stand. Thank you for the fellowship we have with you. Thank you, Lord, when we could sing those songs this morning. It meant something. 
it was such a way to give to you glory and thanks. Well, Lord, you deserve it. Help us to have that desire and that drive in our hearts that we will want to live a holy life and that, Lord, we will confess our sins and keep a, a short order on that, not let them go on and on, but to deal with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.